And uh, you just get into this mentality that at a certain level, soloing is like this extremely, it's, it's the ultimate freedom in rock climbing, right? It's like you can go up a huge rock face with just your shoes and a chalk bag. And that's just, it's an amazing feeling when you can do that um, with confidence and with that level of expertise that it requires. The Strive for More podcast will resonate with those that strive for more in any aspect of their lives. Follow along on one man's journey on the path to a meaningful life through long-form interviews with everyone from successful entrepreneurs, artists, physicians, leading scientists, social media influencers, and professional athletes. Our next guest is a professional climber and filmmaker. As a member of the North Face team, he has traveled the world, establishing adventurous and daring first ascents, often documenting these exploits through his writing and cinematography. He is a National Geographic explorer, a contributing editor at Climbing Magazine, and has won numerous awards for his films including the popular Sufferfest franchise, which he also stars in along with his good friend Alex Honnold. His big break came after filming a unique human-powered adventure with Alex Honnold in which the pair climbed all of California's 14,000-foot peaks. They biked more than 700 miles, hiked over 100 miles, and climbed over 100,000 vertical feet, often while free soloing. Please welcome to the show, Cedar Wright. Cedar, my man, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, no worries. Yeah, it's good to be here. <laughs> I appreciate the lightness, people. You know? Dude, I if people can't you say that I don't have persistence. Time. Yeah, so that is a note to all other guests. Watch the heck out. Or especially anybody who wants to do a podcast with me, just email me 800 times and then catch me on a day where I don't have anything on. All it takes is two years and 400 emails, folks. Uh, but really, you know, where we need to start, the most important thing about Cedar, um, we've got to start off talking about Alex Honnold. The most important thing I'm about me kidding, is- Just kidding, man. I'm messing. <laughs> I'm yeah, messing with you. World's shortest podcast. Already over. Yeah. Click. Um, but look, you know, so you you found climbing later in life, right? You found climbing in university. Um and something interesting that you said is, is you said, look, you know, I gave up nine years of my life, you know, um, and, and through that process, right, you gave it up for, for climbing and, and you had to give certain things up. Um, and, and I'd just be curious, you know, what kind of things did you have to sacrifice in that period, you know, in camp four? Yeah, I, yeah, I mean, I guess you could, you could look at it in that in those terms of giving something up or it's more like, you know, I, you, I think it's better like I traded a certain let's say, uh, more conventional comforts for uh, and a more epic lifestyle. You know, I, I basically lived um, in a cave in the back of Camp 4 in Yosemite and climbed full time and got by on next to nothing for quite a few years um, and just stayed very dedicated to rock climbing during that time um, because that was all I could, that's all I wanted to do. It's all I could really think of myself doing and so yeah, yeah, I definitely sacrificed. I think we, you know, a lot of uh, more conventional terms of success in those early days, and lived the dirtbag lifestyle, diving in dumpsters, and uh, you know. But man, I got to climb all the walls in Yosemite. I climbed El Cap a bazillion times, and um, had all these epic adventures, and so you know, did all these crazy first ascents, and set speed records on El Cap and other formations, and also just became part of this amazing community of you know, it's kind of. Be kind of gone to be known as the rock monkeys, which was this really special community during that time. When I came up in Yosemite, all these very legendary characters, 
a lot of who have unfortunately passed. In fact, I was having this conversation with Leo Holding uh, about all this, but he was like, man, we're the last ones left, dude. I was like, well, that's a little dramatic, but yeah, a lot of our our good buddies, you know, Dean Potter was one of my main climbing mentors at the time. And, and uh, and then a a guy named Sean Leary or everybody knew as Stanley, um, total legend, Yosemite climbing legend um, was one of my, he was one of my first climbing mentors. He's really the guy who taught me how to rock climb. And unfortunately, you know, uh, Dean and Stanley both passed in a, Base jumping accident. Paragliding, base jumping. Uh, uh, base jumping. Not paragliding, yeah, which is what I do these days. Paragliding, perfectly safe. Base jumping, very dangerous. Through that time, like, I know, this is such a hard question to answer. I know that because, you know, attraction is is so nebulous. It's such a difficult kind of thing to, you know, nail down. But for you, like, thinking about that climbing and that experience of spending nine years of your life, you know, dumpster diving, living in a cave, right? Dedicating every minute to climbing. What was it that really said, this is what I'm going to do? Like how long into that process did you just say, this is where I'm going to spend my life? Oh, I mean, it was, it, I, you know, if, if, I don't, if, if for any, you know, buddy who's listening, if you've ever been caught up in a moment, you know, and then uh, that moment for turns nine years. Into, yeah, I was just, <laughs> I was just, you know, I was just, I was just obsessed with rock climbing. It was all I could think of doing. Um, once I discovered it, um, you know, I discovered rock climbing in Northern California, um, and came up under, you know, the guy I mentioned before, Sean Leary really started to show me climbing and, and, you know, taught me about free soloing really early on, which is climbing without a rope and, um, taught me about first ascent climbing pretty early on and like how to bolt, uh, hanging from hooks, uh, climbing from the ground, which is this really kind of daring and adventurous style of climbing. And, uh, you know, so once I, you know, while I was learning to climb, while I was finishing up my, uh, my degree in creative writing, I, uh, I basically, I realized this was all I wanted to do. So once I graduated, I just moved into my truck and I took my truck to, I think first I went to Joshua Tree because I graduated into the winter season. And so I uh, headed to J Tree and just like was climbing full time in J Tree. And from there I met a guy, uh, named, uh, Brian, uh, K or AKA the Coiler who, took me to Yosemite uh, and uh, introduced me to the whole rock monkey dirtbag climbing scene there. And it was just this incredible community. And I just, I felt like I found my people and I found my calling and uh, it was just all I wanted to do. It was just so much fun being in Yosemite and so inspiring being there. And uh, yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's weird to think, you know, 10 years goes by really fast, but uh, I know, you know, there was no question um, during that time. That new climber, right? Like how they're, how they're coming into the, the world of rock climbing now, it is so radically different from that experience that you went through. You know, for those folks that don't know, right, the Camp 4 experience of you guys were living in the park, right, year round, you know, kind of <laughs> scrounging for yeah. food and, and living off of pennies a day. Like that is the experience I think that a lot of people um, think about when they think about rock climbing. And now, right, it's, it's really centered around the gym experience. Like, do you feel like folks are missing out on that kind of formative experience like you went through? Um, I don't know. I mean, climbing has evolved, you know, tremendously. It's grown massively, um, since I got into it. So for sure, you know, it's, um, you know, when I first started climbing, you know, there was, I I don't know if there was maybe even like one or two climbing gyms in the entire country, like, you know, that were commercial climbing gyms. And, you know, there are some little, like little, like some people were climbing on little, like, you know, in their sheds on little like climbing walls and stuff. But, but, you know, I would say at that time when I learned 90% of people weren't learning indoors in a climbing gym, you know, they you learned on real rock and you needed a mentor and 
um, the community was, you know, a fraction of the size that it is now because of that, right? Because it just wasn't, the sport was not nearly as accessible. It was the, uh, just the barrier of just the knowing how to use the equipment and, um, you know, uh, just all of the expertise and kind of like technical knowledge it takes, um, to be able to go rock climbing, you know, it wasn't readily available and, uh, yeah, you know, the climbing gym's easy. Anybody can go into a climbing gym and, and uh, you know, get a shoes in a chalk bag and learn how to boulder on the bouldering wall. And that's why probably, you know, the vast majority of climbers these days are boulders um, because it's just that's like your first kind of introduction probably to climbing um, on average. You know, of course, um, there's still the opportunity to learn to climb the way I did or to get introduced to climbing the way that I did. And there are still people who learn first on real rock or who, you know, end up, if they're lucky enough to end up in a place like Yosemite early on can, you know, that experience is still available to them of going up and into the unknown on, you know, some of these crazy trad routes in Yosemite. Um, it's just, you know, a, a lot of averages, uh, you're probably going to be, um, you know, learning on the pink route in the gym and then, uh, you know, <laughs> then going from there into the boulders. Oh, you see me climb. Maybe- yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm all, yeah, you're terrible. Terrible. Don't get your day job. A hundred percent. People consistently tell me I am the worst climber in the Canadian Rockies. <laughs> Will Gad told me that. Um, he's on the climb. So Will Gad, he's you know. like, don't quit your day job. Well, Will Gad would know, you know. Yeah, the guy's okay. <laughs> yeah, he's a legend. Will Gad's a legend. He's a, he's a, yeah, he's a legend. Multi-sport legend. Um, but, you know, I seems like climbing, right? It seems like the popularity, and this is just off the cuff, but it seems like the climb, climbing popularity really in the last couple of years has surpassed anything it's ever been at. Um, any insights into, you know, what's driving that? Well, I mean, there's this little film called Free Solo that came out, you know, that oh, might have something to do with it. And then, yeah. It's it's not worth really seeing. I mean, you It's know, not worth watching. It got, no, it got an Academy Award, but that's, <laughs> it's all. No, I mean, obviously, you know, pretty much. But do you think that's I mean, the you know, driving like, factor, like contributing to no. to where we are now? Well, I th- I'd say that well, is more of a symptom of just the growing popularity of climbing, in a sense. But um, but certainly, you know, it's a that's a you know, it's a symbiotic, you know, kind of, th- or you know, I don't know, it's a it's a snowball rolling downhill, you know. But definitely, free solo is a big part of that. And you know, the Olympics in climbing, and it's just. You know, it's no longer a, a, a an obscure kind of countercultural sport. You know, it's a mainstream. Do you miss that at all? Of course, yeah. I mean, you know, it's. Um, what do you miss about it? Well, uh, you know, it just feels a lot less special when uh, when it's no longer just a core crew community. You know, and uh, you know, it's just it's. Uh, yeah, it's just uh, it's it's you know, it's easy to like, kind of like be overly nostalgic and look back on the, the good old days and think, you know, that like somehow it's just not as good as it used to be, you know? So, <laughs> you know, I, I don't want to be that guy. And I, I actually don't believe that. I, I do. I truly believe that, you know, you can still, and even, you know, even Honnold is a guy who came kind of, you know, after me, you know, he like Honnold showed up on the scene, like a good, like, you know, probably eight years after I did in Yosemite and, um, you know, or even 10 years, let's say realistically. And, um, you know, but he, he came up in that adventure of climbing and, you know, he, sure he learned to climb in a gym in Sacramento, but, you know, he showed up in Yosemite and, and, and looked up to and idolized people like Peter Croft who had like free solo to Astroman. And, you know, it's like, a wanted to follow in that, in those historical footsteps and, 
you know, that, that, that dream is still alive and still um, available and achievable for folks who want it. There's still weirdos, you know, hanging out um, in, in Yosemite, you know, um, but you know, it, things change. I do think that's part of why I've been like, so gravitated so much recently towards um, paragliding is because it really does remind me of when I first showed up in Yosemite, um, you know, in the late nineties. And um, it's just community, the community. It's like this, like ragtag eccentric, you know, kind of just, I don't know, just this hodgepodge of weirdos, you know? And, uh, um, you know, it was just Yosemite was just, there was just so many characters, you know, there was this guy like Chongo who was like, trying to solve like the mysteries of, of the universe through physics and taught me how to slack, slack line and, you know, roll a joint and like, you know, like, talk to girls. And, you know, he was just this crazy homeless, like weirdo character, you know, he had like the slowest ascents. He had like the slowest, the slow records, like all over the Valley and stuff. Right. And he was just such a character. And there was this guy, Mr. Way, who was like, like the world's most opinionated guy and like would just talk trash, like, equally about everybody on the scene, you know, and about how their ethics were bad, about how their climb was lame. And I don't know, there was all these just like hilarious characters. And I get, you know, it's, I see a lot of that still in paragliding, especially in the American paragliding scene. It's still pretty ragtag and uh, um, kind of, you know, eccentric, which I appreciate. And um, it's still like pretty, you know, it's, it's, you show up at like, you know, a, a, a paragliding competition or at like, you know, a big meetup to, to go fly long distance, you know, and it's, it's the usual suspects, you know, it's a small group of people who are very dedicated to a sport that there's no financial gain to be had in. And that, um, you know, that you do purely just for the outrageousness of the experience. Yeah. 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 Well, and it's like, you know, it's, 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 it's harder to like have a clear, vision on your passion when it's clouded by commercialism and financial incentives and, you know, all these things that come along with like the business of being a professional athlete, you know, which, you know, I went on to be in the climbing space and I'm very grateful for, but at the same time in the paragliding space, it's very refreshing to know that, um, you know, I'll never probably make any money off of it, but that it's amazing. And some of the most I don't know. It's just a pure, there's a purity to it. You know, you're out like, you know, catching a thermal in the middle of nowhere on this mountain and no one can see you. No one will ever really know what you experience, but what you're experiencing is totally epic and outrageous and, um, and something you will never forget. Right. And so it's, a yeah, there's something cool and special about that. And, you know? Yeah. Anyways, what's that? I was just going to say, like, do you think that's somewhat what you were attracted to with climbing in that original, um, experience yes. was that lack of commercialization, the community. And now it seems like you've gone through that journey where you become successful as a professional climber. And now you found a little bit of balance with the paragliding where you're, you know, back to your roots in some ways. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of it for me. You know, that's part of like the attraction. I mean, part of the attraction of paragliding is that, you know, you can catch thermals and fly a hundred miles over like multiple mountain ranges. It's just totally epic. Right? Oh, is that like? Yeah, it's a, it's a man. It's beyond fun. It's like, you know what I mean? It's like, it, it's, it's like nature's LSD, you know, it's like totally this outrageous, like, you know, otherworldly experience, you know, and, uh, um, and climbing has that element too. And that, you know, of just having these outrageous otherworldly adventures, you know, when you go up on this huge wall and you, and you go up this natural passage and it's just 
it's just so amazing that you can even climb it, you know, that it even goes, you know, especially like even just something as like simple as like going and doing Astroman, which is like a classic kind of entry level hard, hard man route in Yosemite. There's this famous pitch called the Harding Slot. And the Harding Slot is this like insane looking overhanging off with roof feature, um, squeeze chimney. And, you know, if you're looking, anybody who goes and does Astroman, when you look up at the Harding Slot, you're like, that looks properly fucked. And I have no idea how I'm going to do this, you know? And, <laughs> but then you go up there and it comes together and, um, you know, it's possible. It's this natural, beautiful passage. And having that experience, um, that natural experience of, you know, wrestling your way up the Harding Slot or, you know, doing any of these like iconic, um, beautiful rock climbs, you know, it's this, uh, that's the real it's otherworldly use. Yeah. Well, and that's the, and that's the real, that's the rad experience, right? It's just the same. It's like, you know, just going on a really cool hike with a really cool view, you know, but then you just crank that all up to 11 and, um, you know, you just experience nature on this really, um, raw and, um, cool way. And also, but also in this really athletic way, right. Where it requires all of this, um, uh, this expertise and training and physical strength and, you know, bravery and mental fortitude. And, you know, it's a climbing is a wonderful sport, you know, it continues to be, it's just like, if you're someone like me, you know, who's watched it become, um, you know, watched Honnold like ruin rock climbing, um, you know, for the world with free solo, I'm just totally joking, but, but, you know, watch it become really commercial you know, and be in the Olympics and, you know, and seeing a lot of people who really all they care about is like how hard you climb or what B grade you climb or, you know, have you done nine A or, whatever, all this, you know, kind of more accomplished based stuff. And it's awesome. I'm totally inspired by all that stuff, but at the same time, you know, there's a balance between the experience and you, you lose the experience and, and I'm the same way. I don't want to be too yes. nostalgic in terms of, you know, over-representing how things were in the past, but there has to be that yeah. balance between, you know, I think any of us who get into the mountains, we get in there because it's a cathartic experience, right? That you, you love it, whether it's rock climbing or, or hiking or mountaineering or whatever that is, is that, that initial experience is one of um, it's like a godlike experience. I, that's not the right word, but it's a, it's, it's a it's, soul filling experience. Yeah. I mean, it's just, I mean, you know, this earth is amazing, you know, on so many levels. And if you go out and you explore the earth, it's just constantly will surprise you and give you incredible experiences just naturally. And um, you know, so that's like, whether you're a climber or a trail runner or a mountain biker or anybody who kind of does one of these adventure outdoor sports, you know, at its very kind of root, it's this man verse or man with nature experience. That's very, very enriching and very cool. You know, it's like there's natural passages um, to experience like on so many different levels, you know, you could sail, um, you know, uh, around the world, you know, um, you know, you could, I don't know, just recently I did like the, uh, the Boulder skyline traverse, you know, this amazing saw, trail that like, 20 miles. all the, yeah, I did like this, like 20 mile, like suffer fest run, like that takes you across the Boulder skyline across all the major peaks that overlook Boulder. And, uh, and it's just this amazing natural experience, you know? So I don't know, that's sort of my philosophy on, um, or why I guess I've like continued to have a life in adventure sports, you know? Something that I notice, um, because, so you're a filmmaker for those folks that don't know, in addition to being, you know, professional rock climber as well, and um, soon to be professional paraglider. Um, but, <laughs> you know, something. <laughs> so, you know how you make you know, a million dollars paragliding? Have two million? You start with two. <laughs> <laughs> Shoot, I preempted the joke. Dollars. So, 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Make a million dollars. Very glad I started with two. Yeah. Uh, but your films, you know, your films are just these kind of consistent bringers of joy. Like that's something that I always notice in your films is it's community. Uh, you always get that sense of really understanding the characters in the films. You're able to, it's not your typical climbing film. They're always joy filled and you get these really raw, authentic experiences. And, you know, who you are is a raw, authentic person. And I feel like that comes through in your films and really how you represent yourself just more broadly, you know, so maybe a well, stupid thank question you. here, but right. like, is, is that something? Yeah. It, Look, that I'm comes the man. When you, you say do. it like that, I am. <laughs> you are the fucking man. <laughs> I'm amazing. I didn't, I'm just here to build just, you up. And you realize it just now. No, I'm totally joking, but no, thank you. Yeah. I, I, but you know, so is, is that intentional? Like, is that, is that how you go into making films? And I know films is obviously just a, a kind of a small portion of what you do, but you know, is that kind of the vision that you start out with and then everything comes from there? Um, yeah. Is I that mean, just well, how you live your life and it happens. Oh yeah. I, I like to think of myself as a pretty, you know, happy go lucky person who likes to laugh and have a good time and, you know, when I make a movie, I, A, I want the process of making the movie to be a lot of fun, right? So a lot of the films that I have made, like things like the Sufferfest films, if people aren't familiar with them, where Honnold and I went and like, you know, did all the 14ers in California by bike. And then we went and did like, you know, 45 Desert Towers by bike. And so there are these like long Sufferfest, like human power journeys. And um, they're both, they're comedies, right? But they're also like, uh, it's just like the spirit of, having an epic adventure and that you can have an epic adventure close to home are kind of captured in those films, I think. And, but you know, it was like, I just like carried around a, a point and shoot camera at the time and just sort of filmed the adventure. And like, you know, it was first and foremost, it was about going and having a rad adventure. It wasn't about making a film, you know, I had a buddy on the second film who was running around and taking long shots of us on summits and stuff and, you know, whatever, shooting us biking down the road. But it was, um, you know, we were fully immersed in the adventure and we weren't like, you know, like going back in the friggin' road to like get a shot, like ever, or any of that kind of bullshit. You know, we were just having the adventure and Unless documenting you were lost. the best. Well, yeah, exactly. Which we, have <laughs> but we were often lost, but like, yeah, you should, and you know, for those who haven't seen the Sufferfest films, they're totally worth a, a watch. Cause actually Sufferfest 2 is the better one, you know. And that brings up a good question around, you know, the suffering, because there is such a, a prominent role of suffering in any of these activities to some degree, you know, before there's, there's pleasure, there's the pain of, of that suffering and right. The films really embrace that as it is the human powered. So for you, like, like, yeah, as my buddy, Timmy likes to call it, you know, it's a, it's elective suffering. Right. So it's not like to like, you know, like, yeah, it, it's like, it, it's, it's totally like, you know, you know, a, a privilege, the privilege of suffering. Right. So it's just that, you know, so it's obviously, you know, we're just going out and having these epic adventures that are extremely physically demanding. And, you know, you're like trying to like, just take one more step up a mountain, you know, and your legs are giving out. And obviously that feels terrible, you know, and you're totally worked and, you know, you're not sure if you're gonna be able to pull it off and you're suffering, you know, on some sort of level, but, you know, just, you know, just to, to, to bring awareness to the greater, uh, you know, human suffering that's out there. Let's like, zoom out a little bit. Yeah, let's zoom out to like, yeah, exactly famine or, you know, the, the, you know, uh, uh, <laughs> or war. The war in Ukraine or, yeah, exactly. Or, uh, you know, whatever, any, you know, I mean, it goes on and on and on, you know, there's like, you know, there's all kinds of real, like tragic suffering, you know, so, you know, when I call the films a suffer fest, obviously it's tongue in cheek, but, uh, but yeah, I do love that. Like, dude, just like just the other day, you know, going and doing the Skyline Traverse and like running 20 miles with like 6,000 feet of elevation gain and, 
um, you know, getting lost and then like finding my way back and then, you know, finishing on like Mount Sanitas with my legs totally tired and like, you know what I mean? Like having to stop and like rest on like what is usually a totally easy hike and, uh, you know, <laughs> barely like making my way to the top, like feeling a little bit nauseous and like totally like deprived of water and calories and, you know, having a borderline like psychedelic experiences, you know, those type of stuff are a lot of fun, you know, and I guess they call it type two fun. And, you know, there's something to be said for it for sure. You know, yeah. And it's something I've documented through my films. Um, I'm proud of my films. Um, I've also made a couple films for the people who, listening who might not be familiar with them there's one you should check out um uh called stumped which is about a good friend of mine who was uh um, born with one arm and it follows her journey to climb 512 with one arm and then there is um, another film i'm very proud of called safety third that's uh, about a uh, um uh, a now um unfortunately past friend of mine brad gopright um who and his journey to climb the hardest free solo uh in the history of colorado and um one of the hardest free solos like multi-pitch free solos ever done for sure um, called hairstyles and attitudes and definitely we're checking out if you um appreciate um if you liked free solo you might you might like safety third and some more like kind of core and raw exploration and and journey into the, the mind of a soloist what what insights do you have there in terms of that that free solo mentality and i don't want to you know make that a grandiose kind of you know experience because you know it can be a little bit over glorified i know that there's many different kind of approaches obviously to free soloing in terms of you know free soloing five six is very different than you know el cap um but in terms of how those folks folks kind of approach risk or how you approach risk you know what does that look like either through the mind of a free soloist like like brad gobright or um you know for you and in, in how you approach climbing yeah. Yeah. I mean, the soloing, uh, mentality is, a it's a different mentality, you know, it's, um, I think a lot of people kind of look at it as reckless or, um, um, just sort of pointless. Um, but you know, if you grew up like I did, like looking up and idolizing Peter Croft, um, and just kind of grew up in this and also just grew up in a, in a place, places like Josh Tree Yosemite where, you know, there's a lot of these climbs that are just really pretty easy and it's just sort of, commonly accepted that the best way to go climb them is without a rope, you know, and, uh, you just get into this mentality that at a certain level, soloing is like this extremely, it's the ultimate, it's, it's the ultimate freedom in rock climbing, right? It's like, you can go up a huge rock face with just your shoes and a chalk bag. And, um, and that's just, it's an amazing feeling when you can do that, um, with, uh, with confidence and with that level of expertise that it requires, you know? And so, you know, and and when you're like a a you know, a twenty year old man trying to prove himself and be a badass, and you know, does that change? Oh, I'm not. I mean, okay. probably for some people, you know, I'm like I'm one of those outliers that still feels that new need to go do like stupid shit to prove his manliness, I guess. But uh, you know, if I was gonna be like you know brutally honest with myself, you know, I'm probably still you know trying to be rad. Um, but, you know, there's a certain, I don't know, it's just like, it's like, you know, why do people go out, you know, and into the, you know, you know, why does, why do people get a thrill out of bullfighting or, you know, why do men go into a, a, a an arena with each other to try to like, see who can beat the shit out of the other person? You know what I mean? It's just like, there's this weird human desire to see what we're made of and to, to see how far we can push it, you know? And um, yeah. And, and the soloing is this mega outlier of that kind of mentality. I think that you just don't see, especially at the top level, you know, you just don't see that many people um, doing it um, because doing it, it is, long. It's, 
Well, you know, I mean, there's this sort of like, I, I think there's this sort of like uh, um, this misconception that somehow like, you know, oh, you can solo, but eventually, you know, the pin's going to drop. It's actually, honestly, of all the like really good soloists that I've known, most of them didn't die um, soloing. You know what I mean? It's repelling. Um, it's Yeah. Or, or like, you know, or whatever, or like, you know, Dean Potter died bass jumping. It's just like, it's just more if you're living like a life out, like on the edge all the time, then certainly your chances of perishing or higher, you know, but, um, but it's honestly been mostly random, you know, and the guy, like, I really, that's why I really, you know, admire Peter Croft is cause he's had a rich, um, career of free soloing and is still occasionally getting out and soloing something. And, uh, but, you know, is very, um, self-aware and very much knows where his limits are and can continue to, um, you know, enjoy like some t- time on the edge. Um, yeah, I don't know that whole, that whole, so like, really kind of go away. Well, I don't think, I think <laughs> no, it does. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. For some people it doesn't, I don't think, I mean, for some people it mellows with time, but you, they'll always feel that need to be out um, on the edge a little bit, you know? And I, I definitely, I see that. I was just down at the American Alpine club dinner and you see a lot, that a lot in the, um, um, in the Alpine community, you know, like some of these guys um, have been at it. You know, I mean, shit, I saw Jim Danini down there, you know, he's still like cooking up adventures and like, he's like, I think he's in his late sixties now, you know, it was classic. I was down at the dinner, you know, there's all these legends of alpinism who are still out and doing expeditions and doing all this stuff. And, you know, they'd be like, now, you know, it's a, you know, who, like whoever they're announcing next, you know, Pat Amet. And I was like, Oh, Pat Amet, isn't that guy like fucking dead? You know, it's like, aren't all these guys dead? Not only are they, okay, nope, they're not dead. And, uh, but they're still out there charging and still like, you know what I mean? Like going to the Himalayas and trying to do first descents and stuff, you know, it's like, uh, I mean, what are you going to do? Just like retire and sit at your house and fucking watch the latest Netflix release and then blow your fucking brains out all over the fucking walls. Cause your life is mundane and boring. You know what I mean? I mean, not <laughs> if you take nothing you know. away from this, know that <laughs> that's too dark. I'm not going to go there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm totally joking, but well, you get, you uh, no, get, no. you catch my trip, you know, hundred percent. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm 47 years old and I'm kind of at that point where I'm like, sort of like, there's sort of this, uh, commonly accepted like paradigm that I'm supposed to slow down and, you know, that like that my best years are behind me and I fucking hate that, you know, it's and, bullshit, uh, you just ran 20 well, miles, yeah, 6,000 you know, feet. Yeah. I'm like, I'm, yeah, it's just like, I'm going to continue to go have rad adventures, um, for many, many years to come, you know, you know, and I'll continue to solo occasionally. I actually had this crazy rad solo experience with Honold where we went and reconned like the first, you know, like third or quarter of this like epic link up that he wanted to do that he never actually like sacked up and did because it was just too epic but you know we went out and soloed like you know twelve thousand feet of like epic friggin like five eight five nine you know climbing and down climbing like five sevens plus these uh you know like beginner climbers and stuff and it was this epic good time like out like you know free and um able to experience that style of climbing that i do very much love so yeah was that one of your films recently did you release that uh i, I might have sprayed about it on uh, there's no real footage of it but i yeah but i sprayed about it a little bit on instagram yeah i, I think I, I caught a spray to the face yeah totally. uh, <laughs> <laughs> i gotta keep that social i gotta keep that social media going man it's like you, you gotta know. keep being authentic and genuine i get it I'm, yeah um, dude i'm a professional influencer dude it's I, all about I cadence it, and yeah, exactly. tonality and shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, I am going to melt that shit. You know, I mean, it's the modern world we live in. You know, it's like, dude, I can like make pretty good money, like you know, posting on Instagram, and I am gonna, I will do that shit um, if I can because I frankly don't have a better plan. <laughs> and uh, I'm gonna keep, I'm gonna keep uh, adventuring and uh, and you know, doing what I want to do. So you know, and it's like there is no judgment here, man. That's. No, oh, no, no, no. I'm just more like bringing um, some awareness to it. You know, it's like, it's a yeah, thing. Yeah. It's the modern age. You know, I went from, you know, no climbing gyms to like my buddy Renan being like, oh, you should check out this thing. It's called like Instagram. You know, it's uh, it's this new app. You can post photos to it. And I was like, well, this is stupid. Like, I guess I'll sign up for it, you know? And it's like, like it's weird to like now think that, you know, a good part of my income, Your income you know, is stream comes from like posting to Instagram. Um, never would have called that one, you know? So it's been wild to watch climbing evolve. That was not what you were voted most likely to do in high school, is what you're telling me. Become an influencer. No, I was voted most likely. <laughs> I was voted, or no, I was voted most talented in high school. Actually, like there's somewhere I should dig it up, but uh, yeah, my that's little known fact. But in my there's a high school yearbook somewhere with me um, uh, getting the the most talented uh, award in high school. I hope you hold that over Honold's head. Yeah, I was like a sportsman, but I was like you know editor of the newspaper and like did all the photography for like yearbook in the newspaper and so people are like oh you're so talented and it's so cool to see that play out in your career now like it, it seems to me right like you you kind of embrace all of those skills you've got a really unique skill set for that rock climbing community you do you know you've got this really kind of unique portfolio of accomplishments and i think that that's really rare you're really one of a kind in that kind of uh, respect not just a great climber but a filmmaker and this kind of you know personality um, and I know that, you know, turning to you a little bit here, right, that, that one of your nicknames is Choss Boss, I think is what they call you, right? And, you know, for the listeners, if you don't know what Choss is, it's just this really kind of loose rock. Um, but I think, you know, again, from an outsider's perspective, who's been in some of those, you know, very minimalized situations in terms of, you know, Choss and dealing with, you know, the mountains in, in, a, in a, you know, relatively serious environment. It's like, from the outside, again, the mental strength that that seems to take for a person is, is really admirable, right? We know resilience, we know grit are really crucial. Um, do, do you ever think about yeah. that in terms of your climbing? Um, yeah, I guess I've always, I, you know, I've just always been, um, like, I think one of my skills is just like, just I have a lot of heart and I put it, I put it into whatever I do, you know, and I, I don't give up and I will fight to the bitter end. And uh, I really... Have you always been like that? Yeah. Yeah, I've always I've always been pretty all in. Well, I mean, you know, certainly once I started climbing, but I guess even you know, I, I, climbing was the first thing I found where I really felt that pure passion and to just want to go all in, you know. So really, at that point, in my early adulthood, my early twenties, is when I really started to like, re- really like, kind of like embrace that grit or that like just like determination um, and that sense that you know that. You know, I mean, I was just convinced that this was like that this really mattered and was really a badass and important thing to be doing um, as a person, right? Um, you know, I I was I was felt like I was on a quest. You know, maybe I was chasing windmills, but you know, I was uh, I was fully all in to chasing those windmills, and it was pretty, you know, uh, it was a pretty epic thing to do. And so I've always been that way, where I've um, been very committed to whatever I'm doing and, and all in, you know, and I've always just loved the adventure and the risk, um, aspects of the sport, you know, and yeah, it was cool. You know, after like climbing in, in Yosemite for a lot of years, I got to go to the mountains and do these like, you know, big routes with like Renan and other people and 
Pakistan and Alaska and, you know, got to go to Antarctica and do like these big, like, you know, mountain walls with, with Honold. And so, yeah, I've had a wild career, you know, I've like done big wall first ascents on all seven continents and put up some pretty meaningful first ascents and first free ascents in Yosemite Valley. And, um, and then also have gone on to have a pretty epic um, paragliding career, um, set the site record here at my home site in Boulder by flying the first hundred miler from my little home hill here in Boulder, um, um, flying a, a you know almost 150 miles right here out of Boulder. And uh, what, what do you think your most meaningful accomplishment has been? Like when you think back to all of those, you know, and maybe the the most recent ones get higher priority, like the you know the paragliding. But you know, taking that career as a whole, what what stood out to you if you had to choose one that's really been the most meaningful to you? Um, man, it's it's kind of hard. It's 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 you know, I've never been. I've always just like been on to the next thing. You know, so like I'm like really. It's it's more. It's you know, my big accomplishment has been more in having like a a pretty epic career, you know, um, with like a lot of like, I'm very proud of all my first ascents in Yosemite Valley and that, you know, those are still getting done. I saw actually just today, uh, Pete Whitaker posted some footage of him doing my, uh, 513, uh, first ascent, um, in Indian Creek, um, called half shark alligator, half man. It's this classic, you know, R rated track climb. And, uh, and it's just, you know, it's just like, I've just been at it for a long time and have done a lot of different things, you know, and then now I'm starting to bring some of that just sort of um, that grind and just like, you know, just like on to the next accomplishment, on to the next accomplishment to, um, to paragliding, you know, and that's why I, you know, probably have flown, you know, more kilometers this year than any American and, um, uh, have, you know, had some, because you guys fly in miles, you mean? Yeah, exactly. Or miles. Yeah, exactly. Freedom, <laughs> freedom unit. That's what we like to call them. And, uh, um, <laughs> yeah, it's, those are freedom units, not miles. Um, and, uh, yeah, yeah, it's been, it's been an epic, it's been an epic career, you know, uh, you know, highlights, other highlights would be like the, you know, at the time, like doing a four hour time, like on El Capitan, like back in the day, I think I was, we were the, you know, it was like, we climbed lurking fear in four hours when only the nose was the only other climb that didn't climb that fast, you know? So it was like, I was never like, I was never like, you know, number one best guy, but I was always pretty fucking good. And, um, and was always just grinding out and grinding it out and having more uh, accomplishments and, you know, just getting more shit done. And yeah, I'm like really proud of that. I actually climbed, I climbed El Cap in a day. That was pretty cool. And, uh, you know, putting up first ascents in all seven continents was like finishing on Antarctica. That was pretty epic, um, thing to accomplish something I'm pretty proud of. So yeah, it's been, it's been a wild, it's been a wild adventure, wild career, you know, this is going to be a hard one. I know, um, because it's impossible to answer, but there's, wonderful climbers like Brad Gobright that you never hear about, right? I know that he's passed away. Mm -hmm. um, but I guess in terms of where you are in your climbing career and kind of the success that you've seen, how much do you think is who Cedar Wright is versus the climber that Cedar Wright is? Oh, it's, yeah. I mean, that's now? a good question. I mean, that's a good question for anybody who's listening, who's like, you know, maybe trying to figure out how to be a professional um, in the sport, because, you know, I see it all the time. I see it all the time. Like, um, you know, I mean, I, I've never been, like I said, I've never been the best climber, right? But I've always been really good at sharing the adventure and sharing the stoke and documenting the adventure and, um, you know, and I've been a pretty fucking, you know, respectable rock climber, at least, you know, maybe not like a elite, but, you know, certainly let's call me uh, an expert class and, um, you know, uh, 
it, it's that combination of being able to share the adventure and communicate the adventure um, through my films and my writing and, um, you know, my public speaking that's allowed me to have a career in the sport. And uh, so, you know. What do you think that future is going to look like for those climbers who are looking to break in? Like what are going to be those skills that matter moving forward? If let's I mean, take well, climbing it's, it's, out of that. Yeah. Well, so yeah, beyond climb, obviously, right. You need to be a good climber. I mean, honestly, I think one of the most, if I was going to choose like one of the best rock, you know, being like having the strongest tendons or having, you know, just like the purest <laughs> passion, right. Because I see this with certain people like, um, where I just like, I can feel their stoke. You know what I mean? So I like, even, I don't, I don't know why this comes to mind, but I like, I follow her and I, I really like her stuff. Uh, her name is Mary Ka uh, Catherine Eden, I think. Um, or, but everybody knows her as trad princess. And, um, you know, I, she's a really good rock climber. She reminds me of myself a little bit. Like she's climbing some five thirteens, doing some hard trad. Like she's a badass, like a really good rock climber, you know, but she's not, maybe she's not like, you know, sending like nine a and like, you know, climbing V 10s or any of that stuff. She, you know, she might not, not have that elite ability, but she's out in there, you know, grinding it out in this trad world for long enough that she's a really impressive and inspiring rock climber. And she's really good at sharing her adventures through social media. She's fun to follow along with, um, you know, uh, and there's a lot of it. There's examples of those people out there. She's just got the spirit. She has the stoke, the love for climbing. She loves the community. Um, I, you know, she's always sharing um, uh, other people's adventures and, and the successes of others um, on her uh, media, which I really appreciate. And so, and I think she's done a decent job of like kind of carving out like a little, um, probably, you know, t you know, maybe not like super lucrative, but hopefully I hope lucrative for a uh, climbing career um, out of that, you know? And so, and that's just one example of somebody who's just a great personality, you know what I mean? In the sport, which is, uh, I appreciate, um, a lot, you know? Um, and, uh, yeah. So for people like for now, it's like, I mean, obviously social media matters, you know, it's like, uh, you, you need to be able to, sh to share the adventure, to communicate the adventure, to kind of, um, being know, a storyteller. Document. Yeah. And I feel like that's one of your great strengths, right? Is that you're able to put together that kind of, you know, confusing and those little pieces of a puzzle and, and bring them up and make them into that uh, coherent the story narrative. that people really resonate with the narrative. Um, so as you yeah. think about storytelling, like, um, you know, what's, what's been your, kind of broad approach there in terms of, you know, telling those climbing adventures. Do you have a, a narrative that you focus on? I don't know. It's fine. It's, I was just, uh, I just, before uh, we started talking, um, was meeting with my buddy, Peter Mortimer, um, who's one half of a, or one third of the kind of brain, the brains of a um, sender films um, who releases like most of the successful climbing films each year. They have the, the real rock, which is the big climbing tour each year. And every year they're releasing four to six, new climbing films and they're relentless. They're like prolific. And, uh, Peter's been a big mentor, uh, to me as a filmmaker and, um, and, you know, a lot, a, a couple of my films, um, have been, you know, like, uh, installments in the real rock. And I've kind of worked with him, um, on some of those films. And, uh, um, anyways, we were looking at this latest, I'm working on a, on a new film, um, about this, uh, this woman named Molly Mitchell, um, who uh, fell and broke her back on this rock climb, which happens to be the same rock climb that the um, uh, the star of Safety Third, Brad Gobright, fell and broke his back on. And so we've been like kind of exploring her comeback 
um, and uh, her recovery from post-traumatic stress disorder and um, anxiety and the anxiety that's kind of like plaguing her around this climb and her come back to, to, to do this really dangerous uh, R-rated um, climb. And so I was showing uh, Pete like all the footage that we had and we were really just trying to figure out, you know, what is the narrative? What is the story here? Like, how do we, you know, how do, you know, we have all the footage now, how do we tell the story, you know, in a way where you, where things come at the right time and where you get to know Molly in the right way, where you're invested in, and you can have an opinion about her journey and, um, and, and like have an emotional investment in her journey. So, yeah. So that narrative, that? Um, yeah. I was just going to say, ahead. you know, what is, what does that kind of journey look like for you in terms of creating that puzzle? Yeah. Well, so it starts like with that, right. With like, with talking about it with people that you respect and, um, you know, brainstorming and, and really making sure before you get too deep into the editing process that you really have like a, a plan for what, what the narrative is and where the different pieces of the puzzle come into play. Right. Cause you're just looking, you're sitting on all this footage and all these moments that have happened, but like, how do I put this together into something that, um, that makes sense and that, uh, that captures the character of, of the person that you're exploring and, um, captures like the energy of the, you know, the challenge and yeah, there are just so many different things in play, but so actually we had some good, you know, we, we, we had a good session of like watching kind of like string outs of all the footage that we have so far and like, kind of like trying to figure out like where there's holes and where we really need to fill in on the story. And, um, uh, you know, and, and for, we were realizing with Molly, it's really like figuring out, we need to figure out that why, like, why are you doing this really dangerous thing? And, and why does it matter? And like, we have all that, right. There's, there's interviews supporting footage and all that stuff in there. But right now, um, kind of what we have strung out isn't really quite, um, answering that question. That's like one of the most important questions that you need to answer. If you're then going to be watching someone do something really dangerous is just why the fuck are they doing this? Right. Like why risk your life, you know, and, um, and everybody has a reason and you need to understand, um, that if you're going to feel, um, invested in that person. And also it, it, you need to understand the risk, right. And to understand the risk, you, you have, you need yes. to have that kind of explained to you and, and yeah. So we're working on all that kind of stuff. You know, it's like a uh, storytelling is such a cool and, um, and tricky art form, especially in the filmmaking world, you know, where you're, where it's, a, uh, you know, writing is, you know, writing out a story is a little easier. You know, you're not, you're not dealing with this, especially, you know, with, with documentary filmmaking, you know, you're just dealing with what you got, you have what you have. And you're like, how do I put this, like these puzzle pieces together into something that's going to be compelling and, uh, and entertaining and, and also just digestible and, you know, like logically flows, right? Because, you know, even just that can be uh, trickier than you'd think. <laughs> of course. Yeah. You're, you're getting tiny little snippets and I'm sure you get to the end and you say, I wish I had X, Y, or Z and you can't go yeah. back and replicate that. Um, there's something no. I have to ask you and I, and I just, um, I'd be remiss if I didn't. And I know it's just kind of a, kind of a basic question, but you know, fear, right. in rock climbing, those folks that, you know, look at from, from the outside, right. They'll, they'll see a route and they'll, they'll see a climber on it and they'll say, that guy's got to be terrified. Um, yeah. You know, or Honnold free soloing, but for you, like it, of course yeah. you experience fear when you're rock climbing, but is there something specifically that you've learned to deal with fear 
um, to help you climb better, to help you process that experience better? Yeah. I mean, so, I mean, fear is kind of, it's fear is relative to expertise for one thing, right? So the more, you know, the more training that you do in whatever your discipline is, right. The more expertise you have, you know, um, the less scary, uh, a perspective, you know, a, a, an experience could be. So like, you know, an example would be, uh, you know, there's the, if, if you've never rock climbed before, you know, going up and climbing the flat irons here above uh, Boulder, Colorado would be horrifying, would be a horrifying experience, you know, but if you're even like a, a somewhat experienced rock climber, there's really need for, no, no need for a rope and you can go up and climb this like thousand foot, you know, face of the first flat iron easily. And, um, and, you know, with no real sense of fear because, you just, you know, that there's really zero chance of you falling. Right. And if, if you just have that confidence that, that, um, you're a hundred percent, um, capable of meeting the moment, then, you know, then, you know, there might be like that, like that, like that subtle, like, you know, obviously in the back of your mind, right. You know, that if you fall that you die or like, you know, um, you know, you have that like instinctual part of you that, you know, that, that when you step to the edge of something, right. You like have that, that sense of, maybe a little bit of vertigo or a little bit of like, like, Oh, like, you know, or maybe you have that urge, like you get to the edge, you're just like, oh, I just want to jump, you know, but you have that sense of like that thrill of that, that danger. But, um, but yeah, so there's that. And then there's, um, and then there's, you know, at the higher end of things, it becomes the, um, as you push your limits of what you're capable of it, you know, it really becomes about like recognizing, um, the difference between, um, perceived and actual risks. Right. And so like being honest with yourself about, you know, like filtering through that fear to like decide if this is a, like a warranted, like you're afraid because this is really dangerous and I could slip at any moment, or are you just afraid because it's really steep and exposed, right? And but that you're definitely locked in and not going to fall. And uh, or in paragliding, you know, it's like, are you just like imagining what could happen? Because there's so much of that in the paragliding sport, just like the what could happen, or are you actually being aware of what is happening? And, um, you know, so. Yeah, it's a that risk management and um, the ability to um, stay stay calm in a potentially, but not necessarily, you know, immediately dangerous situation is a cool skill that you develop over time and that you develop by practicing, you know, whatever your discipline is. I mean, just the way you know some badass BMXer hucks a double backflip off some you know embankment or whatever, you know, and uh, um, and just nails it, you know, perfectly in flow, you know that that can be applied, um, uh, to, to really any risk sport, you know, that sense of execution and full commitment, um, and immersion in the moment and, you know, not really acting from a place of fear. Yeah. That stuff's pretty interesting though. You know, I, I just think a lot about performance because, you know, fear is just yeah. one kind of component of that. And it's so translatable across any discipline, right? We, we all experience fear in some domain and, um, often that influences our, our decision-making. And so I just, you know, for totally. folks like you that are that are participating at that top echelon of of a sport, you know, climbing is like life, right? When you climb, you whatever degree that yeah, at, you understand you're aspiring, you're trying to yeah, you're trying to accomplish and you're trying to overcome your emotions and you know, and I mean, fun. I think yeah, and and so for anybody who you know, anyone who you know, anyone who might be listening to this, if anybody is still listening, um, you know, the. Uh, uh, you know, it, it's something you can ask yourself, you know, it, it, of anything that you might be afraid of or nervous about, you know, is, is what are the real risks involved, you know, 
what are the likelihood of, of any of that happening? You know, and am I just, um, is it a, is, is it a perceived risk or is it a real risk? Right. And so, you know, it could back just those, those two questions, you know, um, is it a perceived or is it an immediate risk? You know, that's, those are the good things to ask yourself because we have a way of, um, letting our minds run away with ourselves yes. and, and, and imagining the worst case scenarios and, um, and sort of freezing up in that moment. And, uh, but if you have the ability to realize that that's just sort of all like background chatter and then really look and be like, you know, actually the real risk here is quite minimal and I'm going to go for it, you know, or, you know what, the real risk here is way more than I'm willing to take. And, uh, I'm glad that I analyzed this and I do need to back down or to, for whatever reason, you know, so, you know, whether you're sitting at the blackjack table or, <laughs> or you know, just thinking about like changing jobs, you know. Hey, you're preaching to the choir, man. Um, but, but, you know, last one here. So, um, you know, all jokes kind of aside about, you know, Honold and that, um, you guys obviously have a strong relationship, right? You've, you've done the films together. You've, um, you know, you climb constantly together. And it seems like you guys just, you really you have such a kind of strong bond and a, and a, and a wonderful relationship from the outside. Um, what's, what's the worst part about climbing with, with that big gangly idiot? The worst part about climbing with Honold is looking at his face. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Is what? I'm looking at his face. I'm totally joking. Um, <laughs> uh, no, yeah, there's, I don't know, man. It's, it's, you know, Honold is one of my many great climbing partners, you know, um, mm -hmm. And, uh, it, it's like all of my great client partners share, uh, uh, that spirit of adventure and that willingness to, um, you know, just go and explore and have a, uh, have a crazy good time, um, to laugh and to, um, yeah, just get weird, you know? So, you know, Honold's definitely on board for, a, for an epic adventure. He likes to get out and, you know, choss around and. You know, he likes to stand on top of things um, and uh, likes to climb as much as possible and appreciates, you know, a good like five nine hand crack as much as like whatever five thirteen. You know what I mean? So just has he has that spirit. So, you know, I appreciate that about him. And, you know, there's a lot of people out there like that, you know. Well, Cedar, with that said, I just want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Where can our listeners find you? Cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, no, I mean. I guess I would quickly say, uh, yeah, for anybody uh, who isn't familiar with me, you know, check me out. I'm pretty much Cedar Wright on all social medias. Um, I have a Vimeo channel where you can watch my films. Um, and uh, yeah, just Cedar Wright on Vimeo. Um, yeah. And uh, thanks everybody who made it all the way into this podcast. Uh, and uh, hope you find a lot of adventure out there. Cedar, it has been an absolute honor to have you on man really appreciate the time thanks Jerry. um thank you so much for for dedicating this and and just been awesome. no my pleasure yeah good good chatting man i uh yeah uh good keep hustling and keep making episodes thank you for listening and i hope you enjoyed this episode please stay tuned for more stories from successful entrepreneurs artists influencers and sports and medical moguls Please know that I've got your back and the world needs you to go out there and create, innovate, and iterate. If you like this episode, then please subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on. You can also find Strive Accelerator on Instagram at Strive Accelerator and find show notes and all of our free content on our website at striveaccelerator.com. 
I always want to hear feedback from listeners, so please shoot me an email at jared at striveaccelerator.ca.